Today on the Matt Wall Show, another company comes out in support of the Marxist BLM organization while discriminating against conservatives. It's time for conservatives such as myself to get over our aversion to boycotts. So we'll talk about that today. Also, five headlines, including the DNC convention speech by an accused rapist who was photographed receiving a massage from one of Epstein's sex slaves. And in our daily cancellation, I'll cancel MSNBC anchor Chris Hayes. And in the process of that cancellation, just for good measure, I'm also going to cancel college. So it's all going to work together, and uh, that will make sense when we get to it. All of that on the way. But first, you already know about Rock Auto, uh, great sponsors of this show, and a great company, especially if you're tired of going to the auto parts store only to not find what you're looking for inevitably, and then you wasted all that time. Time is precious, and rockauto.com is so much easier than walking into a store, someone demanding quick answers to things like, is your Odyssey an LX or an EX? And then they usually get to have to go online and order the part anyway because there are so many types of cards, it's impossible to keep them all stocked. You have to access uh, rockauto.com at your desk and in your pocket. You've got the access right there. You don't need to go to the store to, um, to, to get what you need. rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? rockauto.com. Look, it's a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are reliably low, and uh, they're the same for professionals, for do-it-yourselfers. It doesn't matter who. So you're getting the best possible prices. You're getting the best uh, you know, possible selection. It doesn't really make sense to spend more money, more time, more effort for a smaller selection and less convenience. That just that that calculation makes no sense. And that's why I go to rockauto.com and you should too. Go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car truck and write Walsh in their how did you hear about us box so that they know that we sent you. All right, let's um so let, let's let's get into this. There's sort of the eternal question. Why do conservatives tend to always lose culture war battles while leftists tend to win? Now, there's more than one answer to that question. It's a multifaceted sort of issue. But but one answer, one big answer is certainly this. The left is not afraid to apply pressure. The right oftentimes is. And I'll explain more of what I mean by that. But here's why I'm bringing this up. Here's the, uh, the story, the setup. WIBW, a local news station in Topeka, Kansas, Uh, reports that a recent diversity training seminar at the Goodyear Topeka plant included a slide outlining the company's zero-tolerance policy. And the image was posted to social media, apparently by an employee who saw this and uh, and didn't like it for good reason. He says the material originates from Goodyear corporate headquarters in uh, Ohio. So listed as, you can see it here, listed as acceptable messages are Black Lives Matter and LGBT pride. The unacceptable column consists of Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, MAGA, and political slogans. Now, Goodyear has not specifically addressed the discriminatory slide, but uh, it did issue a statement when it was uh, contacted by the the local media. Here's the statement. It says, Goodyear is committed to fostering an inclusive and respectful, respectful workplace where all of our associates can do their best in a spirit of teamwork. And part of this commitment, we... uh, do allow our associates to express their support on racial injustice and other equity issues, but ask they refrain from workplace expressions, verbal or otherwise, in support of political campaigning for any candidate or political party, as well as other similar forms of advocacy that fall outside the scope of equity issues. 
Now, this is outrageous on a number of levels. First of all, All Lives Matter is about as non-political as a slogan gets. Political messages are tribalistic, exclusionary by nature. Somebody who affirms that all lives matter is expressly rejecting tribalism and defending the dignity of human life universally. So the statement is not only non-political, but it is, in fact, anti-political. And it's not as though all lives matter is an unnecessary thing to say. That, of course, is the claim from from BLM supporters. They say, well, there's no reason to proclaim all lives matter. And so if you proclaim it, then it can only be as some sort of counter-protest against BLM. Well, even if it is a counter-protest against BLM, so what? There's plenty there to protest. But it's not merely that. We happen to live in a culture where the dignity and value of human life is not universally affirmed. We do kill a million babies a year in the womb. Uh, after all. And beyond that, many people are murdered in our communities every day. And if their deaths are not politically useful to the cultural powers that be, their deaths are treated as inconsequential, which is to say their lives are treated as inconsequential, as not mattering. And one of the main culprits in dismissing and ignoring these deaths and these lives is Black Lives Matter. Now, if Blue Lives Matter is political, it's only because one side of the political aisle has decided to uh, stake out this, this this position of defining itself by its raw hatred of law enforcement. That doesn't make the message inherently divisive. All decent and sane people, a dwindling demographic to be sure, can agree that the lives of police officers matter. In fact, Goodyear itself once seemed to feel this way. In, in the past, the company has offered discounts to law enforcement officers, other first responders. Um, even now, if you go to their website, they brag that they're a recognized leader, quote-unquote, in providing tires for police cars. Hopefully, police unions will be calling for those contracts to be pulled. You know, I certainly wouldn't want to buy tires from a company that doesn't think my life matters. That seems like a disaster waiting to happen. Imagine going to a doctor's office that bans you from wearing a shirt that says, patients' lives matter. What about black lives matter? Well, if Marxism counts as a political ideology, and uh, it does, last I checked, then BLM is an intensely political organization. It is co-founded by a woman who describes herself and her comrades as trained Marxists who are, quote, super versed on, quote, ideological theories. The what we believe section of the BLM website is full of these ideological theories, such as the theory that the Western prescribed nuclear family structure should be disrupted and that cisgender privilege should be, quote, dismantled. And BLM has indeed done quite a bit of dismantling over the years. Um, I don't know if they've dismantled cisgender privilege, whatever that is, but uh, they have left entire city blocks in ruins. You got to start somewhere, I guess. Now, Goodyear is certainly not alone. Um, many of the most powerful corporations in America have endorsed and offered financial support to Black Lives Matter. Of course, it's, it's only by virtue of its name that this avowedly Marxist organization, which has been involved in rioting and looting in cities across the country for years, has managed to gain such widespread mainstream acceptance. If BLM had a more accurate name like Marxists United or something similar, I doubt very much that Pepsi and Goodyear would be lining up behind it. That's how silly our political discourse has become. Simply change the name of BLM. Keep everything else the same, everything. Change the name, and I'm betting there'd be 85% agreement in America that it's a hate group at a minimum, if not a domestic terror group, which is my vote. And there would be none but the most avowedly left-wing of companies coming out in its defense. So, be all that as it may. 
Corporations that support Marxist organizations while censoring messages of support for groups like police officers should face a severe penalty from their customer base. Conservatives, myself included, tend to shy away from boycotts. Um, I can tell you that in the past, I have scoffed at them. And I still scoff at boycotts that are frivolous or launched for stupid reasons. And I certainly won't participate in any boycott meant to punish a company for the privately held views of one of its employees, even it's you know even if it's its CEO or founder. The CEO of Goodyear can have whatever opinion he wants. I don't care if he personally favors the the legal legalization of cannibalism, which will be only slightly more offensive than the policies advocated by BLM. Um, pr- private companies and private opinions rather are one thing, but when an entire company takes a side on an issue and makes its position explicit, then we have every reason to take notice. And if they make it clear that they have no respect for people like us, that is, people who believe all lives matter and police lives matter, um, and if they side with violent radical Marxists, well, then we would have to be certifiable masochists to continue supporting them. There's no reason to. Lots of companies sell tires. Not all of them do so while spouting Marxist talking points. So me, you know, I'll take the tires without the Marxism. Thanks. So now is a good time to get over our aversion to applying this kind of pressure. Um, it's an aversion I understand because, as I said, I share it. Uh, you know, th- th- there, is, there is something in me constitutionally that recoils at boycotts. I kind, of, I kind of recoil at marching in the street with signs also, though I've done it a number of times, in fact. But there is, I believe still something in the conservative mindset that militates against this sort of activism. And I don't think it's a need to be polite because I don't have any need to be polite at all. Um, I think it might be our fundamental practicality. You know, we aren't as into holding signs because it doesn't feel practical or useful. We don't like boycotting because frankly, if a company has something I want and they have the best price and they have, uh, and, 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 you know, they're nearby, then I just want to go buy it. And when I'm in the car and maybe I'm with my family and the kids are crying and I, and I need whatever product, I don't feel like thinking about these kinds of issues or trying to be socially conscious or political in my buying decisions. I've got more pressing concerns in that moment. I'm in real life mode. And so I think that's where the aversion comes from. If I'm, if I'm psychoanalyzing myself and other conservatives, it's from practicality, but it's an aversion we need to overcome because um, you know, besides boycotting is a rather practical thing to do. All we are doing is listening to a company tell us its position and taking it seriously, believing what it says and responding accordingly. Goodyear apparently doesn't want my business. Who am I to force it upon them? Many companies don't want my business or your business or the business of so many millions of us, and we should stop giving it to them out of basic self-respect and even respect for them and their wishes. And that's why Goodyear won't see another dime from me, which is not an idle threat, by the way. This isn't one of those boycotts where you're boycotting a company you've never patronized anyway. Like when leftists boycott a hardware store or a gun shop. Um, I've patronized Goodyear many times, but no more. And I think this should be the approach across the board from here on out. No more propping up companies that hate us. Those days have to be over. And you know, when we talk about the practicality thing, because I was thinking about it this morning, um, trying to figure out like what, what, what is it about? Why have I in the past been so anti-boycott? And I do think it's, it's, it's the practical thing. And you see this difference between conservatives and, and like I said, I know I'm psychoanalyzing here, but you see this difference between conservatives and, and leftists. 
Conservatives tend to be very practical-minded, very common sense. I mean, you think about the typical sort of suburban, middle-aged Republican dad. You know, that's that's like one of your quintessential conservative types, right? And that's going to be someone who, um, and you know, that's sort of me. I don't know if I'm middle-aged yet, but um, that's someone who, who you know, it's it just just isn't that interested in 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 uh, in activism. It isn't going to show up and hold a sign. That's the kind of person, you know, your dad is driving down the road and just like you need something, you pull in. And if you try, if you're a kid and you try to shut, no, no, we can't shop there, dad. It's uh, because of their position. Oh, shut up. We got to go in here and buy this. Um, And that's kind of how we think. Now, leftists, on the other hand, are not as plagued by practicality and common sense. They don't have to worry about that. Now, that handicaps them in their day to day life, but it makes them much more effective activists. Uh, and so I think this has to be the balance that we have to strike. Not that we give up common sense, but that we start being willing to do things that are a little bit impractical uh, because that's what's going to be necessary in order to engage in this culture fight. All right, let's go to our five headlines. Another night of the DNC last night, God help us. Uh, I didn't watch it again because I don't hate myself. Well, I do hate myself, but not enough to expose myself to such tortures intentionally. The highlight of the night, though, had to be accused rapist Bill Clinton giving his speech, which was so laden with irony that you know it may cause an overdose. So here's Bill, for example, giving a lecture on how to behave in the Oval Office. Donald Trump says we're leading the world. Well, we are the only major industrial economy to have its unemployment rate tripled. At a time like this, the Oval Office should be a command center. Instead, it's a storm center. There's only chaos. Just one thing never changes. His determination to deny responsibility and shift the blame. The buck never stops there. Now, you have to decide whether to renew his contract or hire someone else. If you want a president who defines the job as spending hours a day watching TV and zapping people on social media, he's your man. They really might as well have Michael Moore come give a lecture on nutrition and fitness. I mean, I mean, they might as well have Elizabeth Warren speak at the Native American caucus meeting. Oh, wait, no, they, they, they actually did that too. Um, yeah, they're, yes, they're, they are trying to give us an irony overdose. I think that's, that's the dastardly plot here. Now, as for Slick Willie, uh, we should remember that Clinton didn't just take advantage of a young intern while he was president and lie about it uh, and perjure himself. And he wasn't just accused of sexual harassment multiple times by multiple women. He was also accused of rape, violent, forcible rape, credibly accused. A lot of even the critical coverage of Bill's DNC speech makes no mention of the rape accusation. For example, a piece in the Daily Beast eloquently titled, Why the F is Creepy Bill Clinton Speaking at the Democrat Convention, doesn't, so they cut right to the chase of the title. I, I like that, but it doesn't make any reference to the rape charge. It excoriates the DNC for having Bill Clinton because he's a dinosaur, he represents the past, he's antiquated, and so on. Um, and uh, and yes, he was inappropriate with some women, but but even the critics of Clinton can't, on the left anyway, can't bring themselves to admit that he was credibly accused of pushing a woman down on a hotel bed and forcibly violating her. 
The other thing uh, not mentioned is Bill's many, many trips to and fro with global pedophile and sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein. Speaking of which, new photos emerged yesterday. You can take a look at that. Uh, there's Creepy Bill, as we're calling him now, keeping uh, getting a, a massage from one of Epstein's sex trafficking victims. And unless you are naive to the point of being essentially catatonic, you should know that there is nothing innocent about going on a trip with your pedophile buddy and getting a massage from one of his sex slaves. In fact, we have heard from Epstein's victims that these massages were part of the grooming ritual. So this is just certainly nothing innocent here. And this is big news, what you're seeing right here. A former president being massaged by a sex-trafficked girl in the company of an international pedophile. But you wouldn't know it from the media coverage, which, is, uh, which has been almost non-existent. Number two, it's like Groundhog Day at this point, reporting this every day, but uh, I'm not going to ignore it. BLM rioters in Portland again last night um, as we go into our, what is it, third month of this, and they attacked a police station, set it on fire. Here's the footage of that. Here, hold this one. Yep. We've really reached a point where left-wing demonstrators setting a police station on fire is like par for the course. Oh, they set another police station on fire? Well, what are you going to do? There was a time when this would have been treated as a very big deal. And it is a big deal. And should still be treated as such. And this is why, speaking of conservatives being ineffective, uh, the argument that you hear from a lot of conservatives is that well, we shouldn't really do anything, and Trump shouldn't do anything, uh, because we, you know th th this, these are leftist cities, and just let them destroy themselves. And, you know, that's how we stick it to the left is by letting them destroy themselves. Uh, I think there are a lot of problems with that mentality, starting with the fact that not everybody in one of these cities is. There are just normal, decent people living in these cities that are being victimized here. They're not all a bunch of crazy. Yeah, if it was a city entirely comprised of violent, lunatic, left-wing activists, then I would say, yeah, just let them, you know, it's, it's Lord of the Flies and just let them do what they're going to do. But, uh, or maybe I would say that, actually. I, I probably even then wouldn't. But it's certainly not in this case because there are actual victims in these cases. And then the second point is, um, even aside from that, we are letting the criminals do what they want. I don't understand how that's supposed to be some sort of punishment. I don't know how that's supposed to be us winning by letting them do, letting them commit crimes, letting them with impunity do whatever they want. No, that is letting the criminals win. We are, we are letting them win by letting them do what they want. And I don't think we should. It only emboldens them. And it only guarantees more of this in the future. I think it's a terrible strategy. It's not really a strategy at all. It's a non-strategy. It's just, it's just doing nothing. Number three, reading from the Daily Wire, says Massachusetts officials are reportedly calling the police and the state's Department of Children and Families on parents whose children fail to show up for their school district's Zoom school. Uh, those are the, the classes that are live streamed. The Boston Globe reports that Massachusetts school officials have reported dozens of families to state social workers for possible neglect because of issues related to their children's participation in remote learning classes during the pandemic shutdown in the spring. 
In most cases, the outlet notes the referrals were made solely because the students failed to log into class repeatedly. Most of the parents reported were mothers, and several did not have any previous involvement with social services. So now they have that on their record. Um, and of course, you, you can you can totally see why a parent wouldn't bother having their kid log into the Zoom class, because you know, I, if 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 we're doing this, I can just teach them myself, right? There's no reason for. I'm not going to have my kid sit in a computer, sit in front of a computer all day to learn. This is not the right way. I'll just do it myself. I think a lot of parents were saying that, and now they get visits from social services. And this, of course, goes back to what we discussed last week, that the school system thinks it owns your child, that your children belong to it. So even when they shut down and don't let your child come to school, they still want to keep tabs. They still are owed, in their minds, your child's attention and allegiance and obedience. And they will literally try to throw you in jail if you don't comply. I really think a day will come when people look back on this kind of thing, look back on the modern public school system in general, and just shake their heads in horror and disbelief, thinking, like, how did parents ever subject their children to that intentionally? That's what they'll ask. And it'll be a good question. And the thing is, I don't have a good answer even now, uh, though I'm living through it. Number four, Fox News reports, important story here, um, very important. It says, a bride recently posted online about how her mother gave a vicious speech at her wedding last year, which led the groomsmen to ask her mother to leave the reception. In the post on Reddit's Am I the A-hole forum, uh, the, pri- the, the bride, a user uh, of, of the forum, explained that she didn't really feel comfortable allowing her mom to speak at her wedding because of their strained relationship. She says, quote, I ultimately let her, hoping she would deliver the same fluff about gaining a son that she did at my sister's wedding. Um, according to the Reddit post, the mom insulted the bride's appearance, her, quote, crappy apartment, and her gross medical issues. This is during the, the speech at the reception. She said, each time she paused to let a joke land, there was silence. My husband and wedding party stared at me, frozen, waiting for my cue on how to react. They stayed seated in until her bit about how I am damaged goods, referring to a time when I was 19. Uh, I had a bad date and the guy harassed me for over a year. It seriously impacted my mental health and I dropped out of college. It's painful to think or talk about. And then it goes on to say that the mom was asked uh, to leave the wedding and she's very offended by that. Now there's a strained relationship with the daughter. Even more strained, as you can imagine. All right, just, a, just, just two quick points here. Um, the reason I, I bring this up, this story. And... First of all, the first one is, I have been to plenty of weddings, and I have never witnessed a moment like this, and so I'm pretty jealous. I've never seen anything this entertaining. Also, this is an opportunity for me really to go over what I believe the rules should be for wedding receptions, um, because the way we go about wedding receptions is all wrong. Wedding receptions are exhausting and excruciating for, for everybody involved. Uh, they're really not a lot of fun, and it doesn't have to be this way. Now, this one sounds like it was pretty entertaining, but usually they aren't. Uh, but, but, but they would be if everybody followed my rules. So let me tell you what the rules are. And of course, when I, am, when I, when I take over and my reign begins as theocratic dictator, these rules will be, uh, will be codified into law and punishable by death or a $50 fine or both. Uh, number one, if you aren't going to have booze at your wedding, you should be legally barred from getting married. Dry wedding receptions are a violation of the Eighth Eighth Amendment's uh, ban on cruel and unusual punishment. I almost said they're a violation of the Ten Commandments, which, which, they, which I would say they even are that too, somehow. Especially a dry wedding where, I don't know if you've ever been to one of these, a dry wedding, no alcohol, 
but they still have music and dancing. Now, if you're going to go Puritan, then go full Puritan, have no alcohol, no dancing. We'll get in and out in 15 minutes. And if we're doing that, then okay, fine. I'll allow that. But you want to have a four and a half hour reception with music and dancing, but no alcohol? Like you think you're going to get us onto the floor for the cha-cha slide and we have had no beer ahead of time? Not going to happen. Number two, um, wedding reception food is usually a letdown. There are some exceptions to this. I went to my friend's wedding last year. Uh, he's Indian, so he had Indian food like curry and stuff like that. It was very, very good. So that you know, there are some exceptions, but usually the food is, is bad. So uh, just what I would say, no food. People pack a lunch, a ham sandwich. Really, it's about the booze anyway. Third thing, finally, more to the point of this story, all speeches should be banned at wedding receptions. Giving an effective speech is actually a highly difficult skill to master, and 99.9% of people in the world do not have the skill. That's why most speeches you hear at weddings, at fundraising banquets, at other types of events are horrendous because they're be, they aren't being delivered by trained professionals. They're being delivered by amateurs who have no idea what they're doing. So uh, that's what I would say. Either have no speeches at all. I mean, how egotistical is it anyway to carve out time in your wedding reception for people to get up and say nice things about you? So you're planning it and you're saying, okay, so at this point here in the schedule, we'll have 47 people take turns uh, saying nice things about us into a microphone. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Absolute narcissism. Uh, so no speeches, or you can hire a trained professional to give one speech, just one. And on that note, I am available a rate of $95 a word. Not a bad, considering how much you spend at weddings. Really, that's that's a pretty good bargain. All right, number so those are, those are the rules. Uh, five, finally, we have one more headline. These aren't really headlines, but uh, but just go with it. Lena Dunham, uh, of course, one of the great minds and great talents of our time, has given us another offering, um, another thing to think about, and I just want to play that for you. Here it is. I said certified free, seven days a week, wet and gushy, make that pullout game weak. Yeah, I'm, I'm s- sorry. I just, I saw that. I felt like I had to deal with it psychologically because I was exposed to it. And so then I exposed you to it also. Really, misery loves company. I had to do it. And I just, why, why? Maybe this isn't the lead here. I don't know. But why is she wearing a bathing suit that says sex on it? Like, that's about... The, that, that, uh, when it comes to being a provocateur, that's about on the level of when you're in middle school and you type numbers into your calculator and turn it upside down so it says boobs. You know, th- th- It's like on that level. This is someone who, who wants to be provocative but has run out of tricks. There are no more tricks in her bag. She reached into her bag, came up empty, and said, oh, I know, I'll, 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 I'll wear a bathing suit that says sex on it. Super edgy stuff. So there's Lena Dunham. That's what she's up to if you're wondering. And we're going to get to our daily cancellation, but first, um, you know, we've been telling you about our all-access membership tier, most exclusive membership tier of the Daily Wire. All-access members get to join All Access Live, which is our exclusive live stream discussions hosted every night by each of the hosts, including myself. And this Thursday, August 20th, I am so excited to be doing this. I cannot tell you how absolutely ecstatic I am um, that we will be doing a very special live stream uh, watch party covering the Democratic National Convention's biggest speakers, hosted by none other than me. Okay, we're going to watch this thing. I am, I am so thrilled to be doing it. I, I hope that you join in. Um, I am not at all planning 
to have Wi-Fi difficulties that night so that I can't do it. I I'm certainly would not plan for something like that at all. I'm hoping that that doesn't happen and that this thing can go forward. I cannot wait. Um, dailywire.com slash Walsh. 20% off all access with coupon code access. Again, it's dailywire.com slash Walsh. For our daily cancellation today, I'll be canceling MSNBC host Chris Hayes. Uh, this, I believe, is Chris's first appearance on the daily cancellation, but not for lack of trying. And, uh, you know, when I tell you what precipitated this, uh, the reason for the cancellation may be other than what you think. So there have been these boat parades popping up over the last several weeks. Trump boat parades. These are, I guess, Trump supporters who own boats and who get together and do a parade to express their support for Trump. I don't personally really understand the point of that. Uh, it goes back to the whole practicality thing, but whatever. Hey, you know, it's an excuse to take the boat out anyway. And if you can put some lines out and do, do a little trolling while you're at it, uh, maybe trolling in more, more ways than one, then even better. Now, Chris was going back and forth with Washington Post reporter Dave Weigel on Twitter talking about this boat parade phenomenon. And one thing you should understand is that anytime Trump supporters, whether by land, air, or sea, come out in public, people like Chris Hayes and Dave Weigel will leer at them and want to analyze and study them like they're a baboon troop or something. And this time, uh, they were talking about it and debating, and they both agreed that, as Hayes put it, white men without four-year degree and disposable income enough to buy a boat are genuinely the Trump base. That's his analysis. My issue here with Hayes and the reason for his cancellation is not that he's being condescending to Trump supporters. That's not even worth remarking on anymore. I mean, yes, of course he is. That's just, that comes with the territory. It's that his method of condescension just reveals how silly and one-track minded he is. Now, he obviously means this as an insult. White men without degrees, but who can buy boats are Trump's base. That's an insult. But what he's really saying is that Trump's base consists of people smart, creative, and ambitious enough to forego the college path and yet still achieve enough, achieve enough financial success to buy a boat. So to people like Chris, having a degree is a status symbol, right? Having even more pieces of paper, your master's, your PhD, whatever, gives you even more status. And that's all it is to him. That's all it is to people like him. That's why they get so upset and offended when people skip college and don't end up in trailer parks working the graveyard shift, st stocking shelves at Walmart like they're supposed to. Uh, in Chris's mind, that's what it's supposed to. That's what's supposed to happen. And nothing against people who live in trailer parks and work the graveyard shift at Walmart. My point is that Chris Hayes and other elitist snobs have a very specific idea of what your life course is supposed to be if you don't go to college. The main thing is you're not supposed to be financially successful, and you're certainly not supposed to make more money than they do. But when you defy those expectations and, uh, you know, you really misbehave and you go off script and you ad lib and um, and you skip college. And after years of hard work, you end up even more successful than some of the elitist snobs themselves. Well, they don't like that. And so they'll try to insult you on the basis that you don't have the mere piece of paper. And that's why the piece of paper itself becomes the status symbol, not the success it's supposed to afford you. The success you can get without the paper. They know that. So they'll still try to go, yeah, well, you're making good money. You own a boat. You're living the dream, but you don't have this. And they wave in your face the frame degree that cost them 30 years of debt and a damaged liver, liver to obtain. Um, and that's why I'm canceling Chris Hayes. But really, as you may have already gathered, I bring up Chris Hayes mostly as an excuse to launch into my rant about college in general. I'll take any opportunity presented to me. Uh, no matter how much I have to stretch to, to get from A to B. So 
Leaving Chris Hayes aside for a moment, let me say again, and probably for the 10 billionth time, going to college should not be the automatic and perfunctory path. It should not be the default. College is not necessary for obtaining success in life. It isn't even necessary for obtaining your own boat, as we've covered. College is and ought to be seen as a very specific course of action taken for specific and expressible reasons. Reasons like, I want to be a doctor, or I want to get into engineering. Okay, those are great reasons to go to college. Though even in those cases, I don't see any particular reason why a kid just out of high school has to jump right into it. Why not take a few years off, work a job or two, make some money, get some life experience? I can't fathom the downside of that. Oh, I'll fall behind if I... Fall behind who? Who are you racing? And why? But most people don't go to college with any particular job or career in mind. Um, they just go because that's what you do, they're told. That's what everyone does. And by that's what everyone does, we mean that this has been the standard operating procedure for, compared to the history of human civilization, about five and a half seconds. But we've decided that the way stuff has worked for five and a half seconds is the only way it can ever work again. We're wrong. And even as we shuffle our kids into these institutions, blackmailing them, coercing them, pushing them, forcing them into college, we complain that it's expensive. Now, the institutions are overrun with leftist brainwashers, which they are. We say in one breath, Junior, you must go to college or you're going to fail at life. And in the next, we say, oh, God, colleges are terrible and expensive, and they're turning kids into brainwashed zombies. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And even leaving aside the ideological issues, how much sense does it make for a kid to go to college just so he can figure out if he needs to go to college? We tell them, even if they don't know what they want to do with their lives, to go ahead and take out the six-figure loan as some sort of ticket to a really expensive voyage of self-discovery. Spend the money to find out if you really needed to spend the money. It's like charging someone for chemo before you even get the biopsy results back. It doesn't, it just, in, in any other context, we would consider it reckless and ridiculous. A much more reasonable, less expensive, less risky, less fraught path is to graduate high school, go into the workforce, have some life experience, figure yourself out, figure out what you want to do, what your skills are, your passions, your goals, and then if it becomes apparent that a college education is a necessary piece of your puzzle, go and get the education. This is a lot better than trying to cram the piece into place before you even know if it belongs to your puzzle or not. So there's my college rant. And anyway, Chris Hayes is canceled. And college is canceled too. We canceled both. Two birds, one stone. That'll do it for today. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Clavin, host of The Andrew Clavin Show. The Democrats make the argument that they are the moral people with the moral policies that will finally make this a moral nation. But have you seen them? They're awful. 
We'll talk about that. And we have the mailbag. So kiss your troubles. Goodbye. On The Andrew Clavin Show, I'm Andrew Clavin.